that the Bible's like a fairy tale, just like Aesop's fables. So keep in mind that it's true. This is historically documented. The Bible is. And we'll, we'll get to some other stuff along those lines um, a little bit later tonight. So last week, James walked us through very, very quickly um, the story of the Old Testament. And uh, tonight, we're going to um, just briefly get into the storyline of the New Testament, how it, how it ends. And I know James kind of gave away last week that Jesus is the climax. You know that. You know that the New Testament's about Jesus. Um, but still, we're going to dive into um, how that, how that sets, gets set up and, and why that's so important. Um, here's the thing. I don't think we said this um, in the past two weeks, and I think this is a helpful outline. If you have an outline tonight, and I really hope you do, I also really, really hope you have a Bible. If you don't, still grab them real quick. Real quick. We're going to look at just kind of some, um, some different things, different passages. Um, but grab your pen and the note card. I want you to write this out. If the Bible tells a story, and it does, here are the four, if, say the Bible was a play. If the Bible was a play, you could divide it up into four, like, acts. Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4. And so here are the four acts of the Bible. Maybe you've seen this before. This is similar to the four things I put on the screen two weeks ago. But Act 1 would be creation. Act 2, the fall. The fall starts in Genesis 3. Um, the fall is the term, if you're kind of new to church or whatever, most of you know this, but the fall is just the term given to when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden and sin entered the world. They had a choice. God gave them one command, don't eat the fruit of that one tree in the middle of the garden. Um, eventually, they did it. They were like, no, forget God. I'm going to eat this fruit. And so it was called the fall, the fall of mankind into sin. Um, thirdly, redemption. And then, fourthly, Restoration. Now, I put those, if you're going to, like, divide up the whole Bible in kind of an outline form, I don't know that that's great, but obviously the first one, yes, creation, Genesis 1 and 2 are the counts of God creating everything. Um, The fall happens in Genesis 3, and really, I mean, so Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, if you didn't know that. So Genesis 3 through Malachi is really, as James talked about last week, and I'm not going to go into it, but it's... It's a lot of, so God is trying to set up his kingdom to redeem his people, and eventually that is, is fully realized in Jesus. But so he speaks to Abraham, Moses delivers the Israelites, they come out of slavery in Egypt, um, they get to the promised land, but then most of the Old Testament, you guys know this, is like the prophets, and the people are longing for a king. And so there's these really long, very boring uh, books of the Old Testament, First and Second Kings, in fact, they seem boring. There's stories in there that are incredible. First and Second Chronicles. Just these stories of king after king after king that, that rule and then they die or they're killed or whatever. And then another king. And they're just longing for a redeemer, for a savior, for a true king. And they don't find one. And so over and over I've said the Old Testament builds up this tension until redemption. So the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation 20, Jesus. Just the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then much of the New Testament if you open up to your table of contents or something, most of the New Testament, after the first four books, the Gospels, and then Acts is a history book, most of it are letters written by Paul, written by John or James, letters to different churches, to different individuals, telling them, this is, how, this, is what, this is what the Gospel does for us. This is what Christ's coming, this is how it changes everything. And then Restoration, Revelation 21 and 22. Now again, it's, I don't love this because the fall... The ramifications of the fall, you guys, bleed into the New Testament. And you obviously know that. Still today, we, we still sin, right? So rest, or redemption has come through Christ, but we're still, we kind of battle the power of sin in our lives. And so the fall's still very, very much a reality throughout the New Testament until now. And uh, same with redemption bleeds into the Old Testament. Two weeks ago, I said redemption is the thread, is the thread that's 
kind of woven all throughout the whole Bible. So there's glimpses of redemption in the Old Testament, of ways God saves his people. You notice that in the video, the Red Sea, they're stuck, right? And uh, Pharaoh is coming, and they're going to get wiped out again. Oh, and then suddenly, restor, or, um, redemption, God provides a way through the Red Sea. Um, Jonah is going to be killed, but then he gets swallowed by a fish, and that's again, that's kind of images of, I mean, it's a, it was a true story, and yet it's also images of, Jesus says later, um, just as Jonah spent three days and three nights inside the belly of a fish, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Um, so that's kind of the four acts. Um, and remember, um, so redemption is kind of the main thing. But James said last week, he said if redemption is the thread, he also taught us that the means, the means about which God brings redemption in the Bible is, is typically the, a kingdom, a kingdom. You see, you see the phrase kingdom of God all over the place in the New Testament. You don't see that phrase a whole lot in the Old Testament, and yet there's still themes of, of kingdom all over the place. And if you remember this, um, this isn't on your outline, James defined a kingdom last week, and this is a pretty good definition of kingdom. He said it's God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Which, okay, so think about this. Um, anytime there's a kingdom, there almost has to be those things, right? So if there's a kingdom, that implies the fact that there's a king, there's some ruler. And if you're a king, you have to have a people that you like are reigning over. There has to be people. Any kingdom obviously has to have a place, a realm, a territory. If you don't have a land, if you don't have a whatever, there's no kingdom. And then the third thing was a rule or blessing. If the king's in charge, any kingdom, think about fairy tales and that kind of stuff. Any king, King Arthur, whatever, there's always a, there's a rule, there's a decree, there's there's blessings if you obey the king's commands, and there's cursings if you don't. And so a lot of the Old Testament, that's just, that was the world they lived in. People ruling, different countries had kings and rulers. And so that language was, um, was helpful to them. So um, kingdom of God, that's, that's kind of how God um, brings about redemption. That's the means by which it happens. And so God's kind of forming for himself a kingdom. So here's where we left off last week. Here's how the Old Testament ends. So I want you to grab your Bible. And uh, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Look that one up in your table of contents. Who knows where 2 Chronicles is? Well, you could kind of find it. You flip through. Um, Who read 2 Chronicles this morning? Yeah, that's right. Nobody. Everyone and no one. 2 Chronicles. So you're like, um, whoa, Brad, I thought you just said that this is how the Old Testament ends. And this looks to me like we're in the middle of the Old Testament. Turn to the last chapter in 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. Here's what, I, uh, here's what I learned in my study this week. That, you guys, the Hebrew arrangement of the Old Testament. So this book is in English. Old Testament, New Testament. But the Hebrew ar- arrangement of the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles was the last book in the Old Testament. The original language of the Old Testament was written, it was written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, Second Chronicles is the last book. And so this is how the Bible ends, Hebrew arrangement. Starting at verse 15, chapter 36, verse 15. This is just kind of an account. It says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them. Who's them? He's talking about his people, the Israelites, this, this nation that he chose. And so again, this is kind of, think about this as far as the end of the Old Testament sent word to them through his messengers. Who are his messengers? What are God's messengers called? Anyone? No, not disciples. That's close. That's New Testament. What? Prophets. Prophets. Much of the Old Testament is, he sends these messengers, these prophets to them. So 
He keeps sending word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. He literally, that word pity means he had compassion on them. Verse 16, but they mocked the people. They mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them, that is, against the Israelites, the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the kings and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword. So that remnant is a smaller group of people. So a lot of people were killed, but there was this remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. And I'm going to stop there. Now, again, this is the Hebrew arrangement of the Old Testament. Chronologically, if you look up how the Old Testament um, books, when they were written, still at the end of this book, if you look in your Bible, the next book coming up is what? It's called Ezra. Um, some of these prophets, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, were written after, after Second Chronicles, chronologically. Second Chronicles is kind of the final um, history book in the Old Testament. There was a couple other prophets um, that also prophesied after this, but this is kind of the last, like, history book. First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings are kind of these history books of the kings. So that's... That's how the Old Testament ends according to the Hebrew arrangement of the Bible. Flip over with me to Malachi, which is our, in our English translation, the last book of the Bible. Malachi, as Abe told me last week, or I've heard this so many times, Malachi is the Italian prophet, Malachi. Looks like Malachi. Um, Malachi, chapter 3. So here's the thing. Before the New Testament was written, the Hebrew Old Testament, as you're turning there, was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Just a, I'm sure you wanted to know that. And so in the Septuagint, Malachi is the final book in the Old Testament. And chronologically, it is written last. And so just one verse. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi and I think Haggai um, as well um, talk about a messenger that will come almost immediately before the Messiah to kind of usher him in. Who is that? We know that now because we have the New Testament. A guy named John, yeah, the Baptist. John the Baptist, you heard of him? So basically, he's, Malachi is prophesying and saying, I'm going to send a messenger, and then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. So that's how the Old Testament ends. And uh, the people are, I mean, they're not in a great place at this point. So again, Israel continually rebels against, rebels against God, rebels against um, just his decrees, his laws, that kind of thing. So eventually, well, what did we just read? They're captives in, Bab- in Babylon. So imagine like, imagine China captures all of us, kills most Americans, and there's this remnant that live in China. And we're like, oh, this is awful. I hate China. Let me go back to America. Um, and eventually, the Persians come along, take out the Babylonians, and the Persian king um, allows the remnant to go back to their land. 
And if you read in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, um, the city's just been demolished, Jerusalem. And so if you read those books, though, you know the temple gets rebuilt and the walls get rebuilt. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls, but still the people are like, this is not, this is not what God promised. The temple wasn't near like the size of Solomon's temple. And so they were all longing for this promise of God to be fulfilled, and it still wasn't. And so um, you get to the end of the Old Testament, and they're, they're kind of in despair. And like the video said, then suddenly nothing. Um, I want you to turn to the page in your Bible. Go back to Malachi, and maybe you're still there. I want you to turn a page to the right. It should look like this. It's blank, and it says the New Testament. You got that in those Bibles? I want to talk to you just for a little bit about um, some of the things that happen between the Old and the New Testament. We, don't, we just rarely talk about this. Um, in between the Old and New Testaments, 400 years passed. Did you know that? 400 years go by from the last word of Malachi until Jesus comes on the scene. 400 years of silence 400 years of longing and expectation and waiting. And there's all these Jewish people, and they know eventually someone's going to come. Here's, what's ha- here's what happens in history during this time. Um, you've all, uh, you're probably aware of these guys. So first of all, the Greek Empire comes into power, um, led by uh, a certain Alexander the Great. Have you all heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great leads um, kind of this, this Greek Empire. Culture changes dramatically. Um, starts to pave the way, just things eventually, I'll get to Rome in a second, but roads start to be developed. I mean, culturally, Alexander the Great comes along, um, just great fighter. He dies, actually, I don't know, I didn't know this. Alexander the Great dies at age 33, and uh, there's kind of some issues over. He had no one to kind of take over his empire when he died. He had no kids or something. Eventually, a guy named um, Antiochus Epiphanes took over. Who's heard of Antiochus Epiphanes? Really? No one? I, I was going to say, I have, maybe that's college. Maybe we'll get to that in college at some point. But uh, Alexander the Great, I was like, wow, I didn't know this. You guys, these real guys in history. Antiochus Epiphanes eventually um, took over kind of this, it was a great Greek ruler. Now, get this, at one point, um, in 167 BC, so 167 years before like Christ comes on the scene, this is still before Christ, a group of Jews um, led by a guy, na- guy named Judah Maccabee, like revolt. So get this, there's all these Jews, they kind of, they get really frustrated and irritated because these Greeks come along, they take over Israel, they start to desecrate the temple, they start to set up um, altars to um, Greek gods and set up uh, foreign altars and all this stuff. This guy Judah Maccabee forms this rebel group and uh, kind of just forms this whole gang of, of men. His, well, I don't, his dad actually started, his, his dad was like an elderly priest, was asked to um, like, do this unclean, um, to, to offer this unclean sacrifice, and he, like, doesn't want to do it, so he kills the Roman official, or the government official that's, like, watching him. This is, like, a scene in a movie. He's, like, supposed to do the sacrifice. This is old dude. He kills the, the government official that's, like, right there with him, and then he kills the other Jew that actually offered the unclean sacrifice because he's an idiot, and he shouldn't have done that, and so he gets his five sons. They, like, go out of the city, and he forms this band of rebels, he dies like a year later, and his third son, Judah Maccabee, takes over, keeps forming this little army of rebels, and they keep going in and like attacking Antiochus and this, the Greek rulers in Jerusalem. Um, eventually, he actually goes into Jerusalem. People are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and waving palm branches at him. This happens before Christ. So Christ is kind of like a, like they're like, whoa, we've seen this before. 
But he goes in and, and um, cleanses the temple of all the, like, the, the Greek altars and the, the Greek um, idols and stuff on December 25th in 164 B.C., and there's a, there's a feast that's established um, to memorialize this revolt. Does anyone know what a feast would be um, starting on Christmas? Hanukkah. Hanukkah. So this all happens between the Testaments. This group is called the Macca, Maccabeans. Um, if you're Jewish, you know the Maccabees. Um, maybe you've heard of the Maccabees before. Um, all kinds of stuff happen like this. Culturally, religiously, politically, the stage gets set. Eventually, um, Rome, the Roman Empire takes over the, kind of the Greek Empire. In 63 BC, the whole nation of Israel was brought under the Roman Empire. Um, the Roman presence there lasted nearly 500 years. Eventually, there's a king named Herod the Great. Who was Herod? Herod was in control when Jesus was born. Um, there's layers and layers of like history between the Testaments. If you've ever thought about it, these groups in the New Testament that Jesus fights with a lot, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, they're nowhere in the Old Testament. They all um, begin to just kind of get flustered between the two Testaments. And so the Pharisees are like, well, maybe, maybe Messiah is never coming. You know what we should do? We should be like really, we should try to obey all these laws, all, all the laws of the Old Testament like perfectly. And they start to do it. And so all these different groups kind of pop up and they're suddenly on the scene when Jesus comes along. Um, so by this point, they're like frustrated and angry. And when is this Messiah going to come? If any of you have seen uh, the, the Nativity story, or even if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you, you kind of get glimpses of how the common people hated the Roman soldiers and emperors. They were almost like tyrants, and they just ruled over everybody. So they were longing for this, this king to come. And eventually, right, he does. So turn over to Matthew 1. Matthew chapter 1. So you know a Messiah comes. Finally, this King Jesus is born. Um, the crazy thing was they, they were all expecting, I think, God to just send down this like mighty military warrior, you know, to just wipe out all the Roman officials or whatever and take over. But no, he comes as a baby, right? It's the last thing any of them expected. But get this. So Ma- Matthew chapter 1. And this is how Matthew starts. The genealogy of Jesus, and I'm not going to read this. Doesn't this, you get to the New Testament, and at first glance, this is a very uninspiring way to start a New Testament. Like, oh, what, what is all these names? Until, just, you read the first sentence, and as soon as somebody read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and then it says the son of David, and the son of Abraham. And as soon as any first century Jew would have read that, they would have been like, whoa, 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 what? Jesus Christ, the son of David, David's son, Jesus is David's son, Jesus is Abraham's son? Are you kidding me? But look at this. In the Bible, you have the genealogy of all of Jesus' ancestors, back to Abraham. If you go to Luke 3, you got all, a list of all the ancestors from Jesus all the way back to Adam. They're recorded. They have names. And so people would have been like, oh. And then Jesus starts going around. In the book of Matthew alone, there are over a hundred references to the Old Testament. Matthew was writing to a very, very Jewish culture or a very, very Jewish audience. Um, and so over and over again, he's trying to get them to see, look, all of these promises, um, Christ fulfills them all. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, he says, like the laws and the commands, 
You like hate those? Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish those. He says, I, come to, I came to fulfill them. I came to fulfill all these promises in the Old Testament. They're, they're there. He says, those laws and those commands, they're not, they, they will always be here. They will always be around. They're, they're still the sign of God's holiness. But I know that you can't do it. You can't fulfill them. So I came to fulfill them for you. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That's going to be on the screens. Jesus says that Jesus comes along in the very first chapter of Mark, Mark says, he says this, hey, the time has come. The time has come. He announces the kingdom of God over and over again. The kingdom of God is near. It's, he's saying it's here in me. And I think when he says it's near, he's saying once I die and then I come back to life three days later, the kingdom's going to be like fully here. Repent. Believe the good news. He's saying I'm, I'm the one that it's all about. So we don't have time to go through all four Gospels, but here's what you should know. All of the promises of the kingdom of God are fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is God's people. He's God's place. He's God's rule. That Jesus is the true Adam. You can read about that in Romans 5, I think it is. Jesus is the true Israel. He's the true tabernacle. He's the true temple. I think it, in John 2, Jesus says... Um, I'll destroy this temple and in three days, or whatever, destroy this temple and in three days I'll bring it back to life. And they're all like, you're a fool, you idiot. We, it took 40 years to build this temple. And it says, but the temple he spoke of was his body. We don't need to go to a temple to worship anymore. You don't even have to come to church to worship God anymore. Because the Bible says your body is the temple. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so First Corinthians tells us that the body, our bodies are temples of God. He's the new covenant. He's the new king. He's the source of God's blessing. He's bringing in a whole new way to live. And so if you struggle with the Old Testament, you guys, and many of you do, you're like, I still don't get all the laws. You need to know this. You have to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. You have to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. I read of this guy that uh, was like going to practice a year of biblical living and so he tried to obey all, whatever, 613 commands in the Old Testament. Um, and again, all you're doing when you do that is you just pluck out different parts of the Bible, and he has no idea what the context is. And if he knew the story of the Bible, like you guys all do now, you don't just do that. The, the Old Testament has a whole different meaning now because of the New Testament. It's like, it's like, it's like only knowing the first half of the story. It's like, it's like watching Batman Begins and never getting to The Dark Knight Rises, which is like, okay, that's fine, but you missed the rest of the story. Um, here's my main point to kind of write this down, and this isn't rocket science, but write this down. The New Testament tells this true story of redemption through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It tells us, and it tells us how that redemption can change our lives tells us the true story of redemption through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it tells us how that redemption can change our lives. Because we get, we get into the New Testament, and the whole rest of the story, sorry, I'll give you a while to write that down, but the whole rest of the story is the Apostle Paul and John and Peter, these other apostles, Telling people how you, how you now live in light of the fact that Jesus came and paid the penalty for sin. That you have a whole new identity now. You can have a, a whole new life. 
So much of it is like, you're like, again, it's just like all these rules. No, no, no. If you're changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is just how you live now. It's a, a whole new life. Still writing that down? No? Yes? Thanks. Here's the thing. Maybe you're still like, um, what's with the death and resurrection? I mean, Jesus didn't come as a military leader. So again, he was killed, and yet he comes back to life three days later. Paul knew, and the New Testament writers knew, and I hope you know, the whole point of that is that something had to be done about sin and about God's anger against sin. You guys, part of the story is the fall. Part of the story is we're sinful, we're broken. If you're like, my life stinks right now, or my friend's life stinks, or this happened, or my grandpa died, or my uncle died, or whatever, you have to realize that the only way to make sense of that is to realize that sin is still part of the story. Jesus comes, and we're now freed from the penalty of sin, meaning if you're truly a believer, if you're a Christian, you don't have to be afraid of separation from God, which is what the Bible calls hell. The penalty of sin is no longer an issue for you, We presently as Christians, we currently still struggle over the power of sin. So the penalty of sin, done away with. The power of sin, we still kind of go back and forth, right? Sometimes we have victory, sometimes we don't. And someday, Revelation 21 21 and 22 will be free from the presence of sin forever. But Paul knew um, God couldn't just stop being angry at sin and all the rebellion against him. If he did, he would cease to be God. God is completely just, completely sovereign. If he just like, like oh, I'm just not going to notice that, he would cease to be God. Evil has to be punished. And so God in his grace sends his own son Jesus to live a perfect life and then die the death that we deserved. He took it all and he took it for us. And so all those laws in the Old Testament, that's still good. Those are still, that's, what, that's, that's um, how God shows us how holy he is. I couldn't even come up with 613 commands, but I'm not God. But you know what? Jesus fulfilled all of them. He lived a perfect life, and he, then he, he died and he did it for you. Because you know what? He knows you can't do it. That's not even the point. And so again, this whole thing, do not miss the fact don't just grab a, a scripture passage and say, I guess this is God's word for me today. One of the guys in, in the life group I was in last week was like, because, yeah, sometimes I open, you know, and I'm like, they're building the temple. So am I supposed to go and build a temple? No, of course not. But you're supposed to see how Jesus is the true temple and how through the Holy Spirit you have the temple within you. Um, let me pray, and uh, we'll get out of here. Father, We need to know this story. God, there's those of us in this room. God, we love all kinds of things. God, we worship worship our phones. We worship certain guys or girls that we like. We worship um, little, I don't know, TV shows. We worship our own schedules. We worship um, the thing that we have to do tomorrow that we so badly, I don't know, don't want to do. God, we're worshipers all over the place, and we need to be worshiping you. God, I hate the fact that because we can't see you or touch you or give you a hug, we pretend like you're not there, like you don't exist. And so God, remind us, remind us that salvation is of you and God, that you offer it to all of us. God, everlasting life is promised to anyone who puts their trust in you. 
And so, God, there's those of us here tonight, we've maybe never done that. We're still just like, eh, whatever. I'm going to write my own story. But, God, I pray that we would see how the Bible fits together, how it tells one, primarily it tells one story. All the stories fit into this major story. God, that you came to redeem a people. And, God, it wasn't just Jews, God, it's for all people, all nations. And you did that through one man, Jesus. And so, God, we're... We're not longing for something else. You've come, and God, someday you're going to come again, and it could happen at any moment. So Jesus, you could come back tonight as we're leaving. And so God, I pray that the people in this room that don't have a relationship with you, that don't care about you, that could say, whatever, I'm my own man, I'm my own God, I'm going to believe what I want. I'm an atheist. I don't care. God, I pray that they would, that they would come to grips with what the Bible says. Because God, you're speaking to us. You have a story to tell. So God, draw us to yourself. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.